That was without a microphone. I don't want to know what it is to have a microphone. <laughs> this is powerful. The parable of the growing seed, chapter 4, verse 26. <clears throat> he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Stay here with me for a minute. All right. Okay. Donovan, come on up. So this is another one of our friends. This is Donovan Quick. And Donovan is the manager at Moe's here on Franklin Street. And uh, yeah, let's give it up for Moe's. Awesome. And so today after church at noon uh, for lunch, as, as Justin already talked about earlier, lunch is on us today. Anybody that wants to stick around and, and share in that with us, we're going to go through something that we call the heart, where we just explain what do we mean when we say that our name is our mission, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. It's an opportunity for you to get to know the mission of Love Chapel Hill. And especially if you're new here, we really encourage you to come and to be a part of that. Bring your questions, get to know some of our leaders, and uh, get, to, get the opportunity to plug in, too, and to become a part of this family um, in a different way. And so I, I just want to thank both of these individuals who are amazing uh, encouragements to us as a church. Uh, both people who operate restaurants and open their doors in hospitality to us. Uh, as, as I'm just standing here, I'm thinking about three of the marks that we say we're about as a church. Intentional incarnation, which means we want to be rooted at the heart of this community, right in the heart of it. And they open the door for, to make that possible for us through their restaurants. Um, also, uh, radical hospitality. And both of them have displayed that not only to people in our community, but to us as a church. And then courageous generosity is another one of our marks. And they display that so frequently for us. And so I want to thank Moe's for the way that we also, every Tuesday night, we host a Bible study there. It's called The Story. It's a Bible study that I lead there. And uh, they provide food for us every Tuesday night and, and welcome us in there. And then also for special events. And in Vimla as well with your restaurant. So many times we have staff meetings there. And um, we come so that we can support, but then you try to give us free food because you're awesome like that. And Vimla uh, <laughs> has a policy, and it's this. The, the, the mantra of Curry Blossom Cafe is, Vimla cooks, everybody eats. And it's beautiful. And so if you can pay the menu price, then, then please do that. If you can't, 
then pay what you can. If you can't afford anything, then you are her guest at her table. And that's beautiful. That's not how to run a business. (laughs) And yet God in his grace and abundance has given you such favor in this community. And so many people talk about the way you run your business and and as as it being a stellar example um, of what it should look like. So we're blessed to have these people a part of our church family. So help me uh, give thanks to the Lord for them. Awesome. Love you, man. Did you want to say anything? Okay. All right. Thank you. I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Moe's. Welcome to Moe's. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right. As many people have joked, um, the sky is Carolina blue because God is the Tar Heel. Right? Woo! And it's raining today because we lost a state yesterday. And God is weeping with us. All right. Awesome. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) We got some state fans here. And we love you. And just like we talked about with radical hospitality. And in the spirit of that, I would like to say, can you please leave right now? I'm I'm kidding. We love you. All right. Um. Today we're continuing this series that we've been in called Once in Future Kingdom, where we're looking at the kingdom of God and what Jesus tells us about this kingdom that he has come to establish. Last week we were in Mark chapter 1, and we spent the whole day just on one verse, that beginning verse, where Mark says at the beginning of his gospel, this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the way that seems so simple at first, but there's so many layers of depth to that. And intentional ways in which that is set up to be a, a, a critique almost and an offering of a counterway against the Roman Empire of that day and time. And how the kingdom of God is this upside down, absolutely different, subversive kingdom at work, this underground movement that we are invited into. And so Jesus in that in Mark chapter one, we get the message of Jesus where he gives this invitation. It's a command and a challenge, but at the same time, it's an invitation where he says, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is here. Is there any better news than that? The kingdom of God is here. This thing that we've been longing for, it is unrolling right now. It's been unleashed because of the arrival of of Jesus. So Mark then moves from the message of Jesus, this message that the kingdom of God is here, and then he moves into the ministry of Jesus. And over the next few chapters, we see him describing that and unpacking that and showing us what that looks like. And so we see the, his healing miracles as a part of his ministry. We're going to get more into some of those next week. Uh, we see him calling and sending disciples as a part of his ministry. We see him confronting the status quo of his day, of the religious establishment and elite of his day. We see him embracing the people who are on the margins in radical hospitality and this courageous kind of love reckless kind of love that he demonstrates and then in chapter four we get Jesus's teaching this is a central part of his ministry he showed us and demonstrated what it looks like but he also describes it 
He describes it in this powerful teaching. And so today, as Vimla already read, we're in Mark chapter 4, and we're looking at one parable in particular here. This is interesting. Mark chapter 4 has four parables listed in it. And that's, that's interesting to us because according to people count it different ways, but most people settle on there being eight uh, parables described in the gospel of Mark. And so half of them show up in just this one chapter. So we realize Mark is making an intentional move here. He's pulling these together and he's saying this is at the heart of what Jesus is teaching. Lean into this. And as we look at across the Gospels, we see that a third of the teachings of Jesus come in the form of this parable, come in the form of parable, which is just a short and creative kind of story to invite you into the story, to help you see what the kingdom of God is like. These stories that engage the imagination. Most often, Jesus grabs symbolism from everyday life around us, and he uses that to show us what the kingdom of God is like. And repeatedly, he tells these stories that are full of hidden revelation. Hidden revelation. That sounds like an oxymoron, right? But Jesus is saying, it's right here. I'm putting it right in front of you. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, as he repeatedly says, then the mysteries of the kingdom of God will be open to you. Not only will you understand them and see them, but you'll be invited into it and it will fill you. So that's what the parables are about. These short creative stories engaging the imagination and and also um, hidden revelation that's happening that okay so lock in to that so a third of the ministry of jesus of the teachings of jesus come in this form i've been thinking about that why does jesus use stories so often why is this his go-to why so much of his teachings show up in this form and i think it's this i think perhaps he's using the power of story to remind us of our own story I think he's reminding us that Christianity is not just primarily a system of belief or just theological framework. It's not just facts and figures for us to memorize. But instead, Christianity is the true story of God's rescue of the world. And so Jesus is training us by telling us these stories, inviting us into them, helping us to think in terms of story so that we can see what it is He's inviting us into. This is your story. This is the story that he's writing for you. So most of Jesus' parables, as we study them, uh, set out to answer one key question. All right. Many of them are, are built around this same central question. And it's the question of what is the kingdom of God like? Okay, you're here and you're announcing it. You say that you're the king of this kingdom, but what is this kingdom like? And it's something that's often difficult for us to get our minds around. So Jesus keeps coming back to this question. What is the kingdom of God like? So many of his parables begin by him asking that question, and then he uses a story to answer that question. I love that so much of Jesus' teachings come in response to a question. Jesus honors questions as a valued currency in the kingdom of God. He's not afraid of your questions. He loves your questions. He welcomes your questions. He invites them. But here's the thing. 
Oftentimes we see our questions as roadblocks, right? These things that we can't get past. So I want to believe, I, I want to engage with this, but I have so many unanswered questions. And so we see them as roadblocks that keep us from pressing any further. And until I get this answer, then I'm not going any further. But Jesus doesn't see questions as roadblocks. Instead, he sees, that he sees them as guides. And he's telling you, listen, those questions are pointing you to something. Follow them. Walk with them. Don't let them stop you in your tracks. Engage with them. Keep digging deeper. Look for the answer. And those who seek will find, he says. So questions aren't roadblocks. They're guides. They're not barriers. Instead, they're invitations into moving into deeper intimacy and understanding of who he is. Here's the other thing, though. Jesus doesn't only welcome your questions. He also has some questions of his own. He also often has some questions of his own. So some of the turning point moments of your life are going to come not when Jesus gives you an answer, but when Jesus gives you a question. When Jesus places a question in your soul and he invites you to begin to wrestle with that, that's where many of the turning points in your life are going to happen. Questions like, do you trust me? Questions like, do you think I'm strong enough for this? Do you think I'm able to do this? Do you trust me even if I don't do this? Will you step out of the boat and walk with me on the water? Will you come follow me? So many turning points in your life are going to come when Jesus asks you the question. He's excellent at that. As part of the teaching style of a rabbi, which is what Jesus was, as part of his teaching style is not just to give you information, but to ask you questions so that he invites you into that process of learning and of becoming enlightened by his truth. The poet T.S. Eliot said this. I love this. He says, oh, my soul, be prepared for the coming of the stranger. Be prepared for the one who knows how to ask the questions. That reminds me of Jesus who shows up on the scene seemingly out of nowhere, out of a nowhere place like Nazareth and begins to ask these questions that invite us into mystery and understanding. So that central question, what is the kingdom of God like? He gives us an answer right here in this passage. So we read two of the parables that are in this passage, uh, two of the four that we find in this chapter. Interestingly enough, three of the four parables that are listed in this chapter are about seeds. Three out of the four are about seeds, where Mark collects these parables of Jesus and puts them in this central spot, back to back. Here's what the kingdom of God is like. Here's what it's like. Here's what it's like. Three of the four use the imagery and the symbolism of a seed or seeds. He is drawing us into something here. Two, two of those are famous, and the one we're going to look at today is the more obscure one, and it's the only one, um, it's, it's only found here in the Gospel of Mark. It doesn't show up any other place in the New Testament. None of the other Gospels have it, and we're going to read it again. It starts in verse 26. He also said this, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. 
night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today is digging into this and what Jesus has to say to us about the kingdom of God through this parable. Jesus, help us today. You are the teacher. You are continuing to speak to us through the truth of your word, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking to us today. And we pray that you would teach us. We're here. We're sitting at your feet. Our ears are open. Our hearts are open. We're hungry. Show us what your kingdom is like and challenge us in that. We need you. We're desperate for you. We need you. And we ask you to do what only you can do today. See your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's break this parable down together. Um, this parable is really about three things. Okay? Three things. Number one, potential. Number two, process. And number three, power. Potential, process, and power. And when I say those P words, it's like in here. So sorry about that. There's going to be a lot of that. Okay? Sorry about that. So we're going to start with that first one, potential, okay? And when we say potential, we're not talking like pop psychology, like just believe in yourself and you can be anything you want to be, okay? Uh, this is not true or else I would be Michael Jordan right now. And it's definitely not true, okay? Uh, I'm pretty good on an eight-foot goal, but other than that, all right? So um, potential, and this is getting at this imagery uh, of potential. So remember what the, uh, the contrast that Mark has already been making here. In this contrast between the kingdom of God that Jesus is establishing and the Roman Empire that the people were living under at the time. The oppressive Roman Empire that they were suffering under. And now Jesus comes to tell them the good news about the kingdom of God. So Mark is really intentional to draw the contrast between these two visions of what the kingdom or the empire should look like. When we talk about potential in terms of the Roman Empire, then it often gets symbolized in imagery of military strength. And so the imagery that they keep coming back to is the sword and the shield representing the military strength of the Roman Empire and the way that the empire is spreading and that they're able to take over all of this, this, this landscape and take over other nations and bring them under their reign. And that's what it looks like, this overpowering and overreaching of the Roman Empire. We know that in the end that becomes part of their undoing as it spreads so far that it begins to cave from within this overpowering and this overreaching on the opposite side instead of an overpowering and overreaching Jesus paints the picture of the kingdom as something that is underground as something that is surprisingly simple that begins to grow but it but it starts out underground and it's a surprising thing so instead of like the sword and the shield Jesus uses symbols like seeds and fields and plants and harvests do you see the difference between that vision and the symbolism there? So one is about controlling and the other is about unleashing. One is about destroying 
and the other is about creating and cultivating. And the kingdom of God paints a different kind of vision when he talks about the potential. So it's beautiful that Jesus uses three times in the same chapter imagery of the seed. The seed is so full of potential. It's a beautiful image. So the potential of the seed is very deceptive. It's so small. It seems so insignificant that at first glance, there's no way that this can become anything. This cannot amount to anything. There's no way. And yet, as we begin to dig into the science of it and and understand the meaning of it, the seed contains the potential of the whole. There's the hidden revelation of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about versus this hyperbolic rhetoric of the empire. So Jesus leans into this hidden revelation. That's what the seed is. That's what the seed is. What is this? Anybody? Let's see how awake we are today. Apple. Awesome. Great. Um, What kind of apple? All right. You're all wrong. I'm just kidding. I don't know. (laughs) It's the kind that was in the bowl in the kitchen. All right. I'm taking this, Sarah. Thanks. All right. The apple. I love the imagery of the apple because it, it gets at the heart of this parable of the seed. It shows the potential of the seed, right? Everybody knows that you can find an apple in an orchard, right? What's inside of this apple? A seed, right? And what happens to those seeds? What do those seeds become? A tree, which does what? Exactly, which produce more seeds, more trees. Everybody knows, I love this imagery of the apple. Everybody knows that you can find an apple in an orchard. But if you have the eyes to see, you can also find an orchard in an apple. That's the potential of the seed. That's the power of it. It's this hidden revelation, and that is what the kingdom of God is like. Yeah, Michelle? That's a great question. Thank you. It actually doesn't specify what kind of fruit it was. Um, Hey! Good point. Good point. That's, that's, that's beyond what I can know. So I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. Awesome. But once again, the apple gives us this imagery of the potential of what is hidden within. Our culture is obsessed with what's on the surface. Our culture is obsessed with what's on the surface. But the kingdom of God is about what's happening underground. It's an underground movement that we are being invited into. And the reality is, as this parable begins to show us, the reality is this, that what begins underground will soon become groundbreaking. What begins underground will soon become groundbreaking. So the apple, a perfect image of the potential of the seed. Within are the seeds And within the seeds is the potential of another tree, which has the potential of countless apples within that orchards and orchards and orchards, a hidden revelation right before our eyes. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Number two, process. So it's first about potential. Second, it's about process. Uh, What's the first thing that happens in this parable? 
All right, got scatter seed. Exactly. So a farmer in that day would have gone out and, and, and scattering seed in his field. So what happens first is not the harvest. This does not begin with the harvest. Instead, it begins with the plowing, preparing the ground for it. And we see that again uh, previously in the parable of the sower that we get at the beginning of this chapter. So it starts with the plowing. It continues with the planting. And then finally, at the end of it, we get the harvest. This is something that we have to grasp. We cannot fast forward to the harvest. But that's what we want to do. We want to shortcut the process and get to the harvest. When I was first starting seminary, um, I'm sitting in, in the orientation uh, to seminary. Some of you I've told this story to before, and there are a couple of things I remember that. Number one, I remember the guy I'm sitting next to, and um, I'm all excited about what's getting ready to happen. And so we're in the middle of this orientation, and he leans over to me, and he says, man, I'm out of here. It's time for Judge Judy. So he leaves to go watch Judge Judy on TV, all right? And I remember thinking, that guy is not going to make it. And then he graduated before me and is doing amazing. So I'm, maybe I should have been watching Judge Judy. Um, the second thing I remember is uh, a preacher who was giving an orientation message. And she ended up becoming one of my favorite professors at the seminary, Asbury Seminary. Her name is Dr. Sandy Richter. And she continues to impact me to this day. Her teaching uh, continues to impact me. I remember one thing she would always say is this, tell the story and tell it well. Tell the story and tell it well. She would continually come back to that. She's a scholar. She's brilliant. And her heart just beats. You can sense the holy love of Jesus in her. One of the best preachers and best professors I've ever been exposed to. I remember in that orientation service, though, her getting up to preach. And I remember this one line. The only thing I can remember from it is this. She said over and over again, submit yourself to the process. Submit yourself to the process. And even in that moment, like I signed up for this, okay? I'm there for seminary. I've like stepped away from ministry to to be a part of this and to submit myself to it. But even in that environment, there was something about it that, that was difficult for me to grasp. Surrender and submission is one of the hardest things we can possibly do. Surrender and submission is one of the hardest things we can possibly do. But this parable tells us that really, in the end, it's the only thing we can do. It's the only thing we can do. Everything else is in God's hands. The harvest is in his hands. Submit yourself to the process. There is a journey. You want to see all of the harvest right now, but you can't shortcut to that. You can't shortcut to that. Let me ask you these questions. What is Jesus doing beneath the surface of your life? Right now, in this season that you're in right now, what is he doing beneath the surface of your life? Maybe as we continue talking, you just want to ask him that question and tell him you're open to hearing the answer. What is he doing beneath the surface of your life? Where are you right now in the growth process? Which season are you in? Maybe you're in a time of plowing or planting. Maybe you're preparing for the harvest. Where are you in the growth process? If you're planting, are you sowing the word into your life so that you can be prepared for the harvest that he wants to bring? Are you sowing the seeds of prayer in your life and giving him time to do his work and what can only happen beneath the surface? 
Are you in a season of pruning? Where he's actively cutting things away from your life? And it feels like he's cutting very deep into places that you're protective over. Ask him to help you see that. Is that what he's doing? Is he taking things away from your life for the sake of growth that will come later? You're not feeling the growth now. You're feeling the cutting and it hurts. But it's to make way for growth that's going to come later. What fruit of the spirit is he currently cultivating in your life? Or what fruit of the spirit is he showing you? This is a place where you need to surrender and you need to let me do my work in your life. Maybe you want to ask a friend or some uh, spouse or somebody that you live with, a roommate. A roommate can really tell you the answer to that question. <laughs> well, I know which one he needs to start working on. Ask that question. What fruit of the spirit is he currently cultivating in your life? Don't try to shortcut the process. Submit yourself to it. And let him do his work. The final is this. The third piece is power. So potential, process, and power. And really when you get down to it. The point blank, crystal clear thrust of this parable. And the story that Jesus is telling is this. The kingdom grows by the power of the king. The kingdom grows by the power of the king. It's what he's getting at so clearly in this. As it says, the farmer goes out and scatters the seed, but this, then the farmer lays down and gets up, and regardless of what the farmer does, it's, it's the seed that's doing the work of growing. Yes, the farmer prepares the ground. The, the farmer cultivates and nurtures, but it's the seed that does the work of growing. This is about power. And it's a realization that the kingdom grows by the power of the king. He is not dependent on us to grow. But we are desperately dependent on him. We are desperately dependent on him. Here's the challenge that I sense for us as a church. We've been having these conversations for a while. But here's the challenge that I sense for us. That we need to move in a time. Of praying for a harvest that is not of our own making. We can get together and we can strategize about how we can maybe spark some kind of a harvest. But to be honest, we don't want to be a part of that. We need to be praying for a harvest that is not of our making. It is work that happens by his power. We are in desperate need for God to do what only God can do. We need to make sure that we're staying out of the way. We don't want height, but we're desperate for harvest. We want harvest. We want to see that happen. We're hungry for it. This past Monday night, some of the leaders of the church were meeting together, and uh, Justin began to read from uh, from the a passage from Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven to the to the leadership team, and not just like reading it to us, but it really felt more like he's reading this over us. And it's this beautiful prophecy. The prophet Ezekiel says that the Lord is speaking to him and he shows him this valley of dry bones. This gruesome image of this valley of dry bones. And and then he's challenged. Can these bones live again? The prophet is asked, can these bones live again? And the prophet says, only you know that, Lord. Only you can know that, Lord. And then then the Lord speaks to him and challenges him prophesied to these bones that they might live. And he prophesies and he says, then I heard a rattling sound 
And he watched there in the vision as the bones started coming together. Dry bones, death starts to come together. And all of a sudden, it's forming these bodies. But that's not the end of the prophecy. That would have been miraculous enough, right? I would have seen that. I'm like, I'm out. I'm not saying anything else. All right? But that's not the end of the prophecy. And then he's challenged again. Pray. Pray and prophesy that the Spirit will fill these bones. Breath in these bones. And he does. And it says the wind comes from from the four places and begins to fill the bodies. And then they come to life. Even when the structure came together, they were still dead. They were still dead. Many people in the meeting started making that observation like, man, we can work hard to put structures together. But without the filling of the breath of the Holy Spirit, this is still dead. It doesn't matter what you try to build without the spirit filling it. It's dead. That's what we want to see. We want to see the spirit begin to fill us. We want to see the spirit lead us and move us. We're desperate for him to do what only he can do. We want to see that kind of harvest, something that's not of our making, but with him breathing his breath into us as a church and taking us into places that we've never been before. One way that we're going to do that is as simple as it gets. It's as low bar as you can possibly get. And it's this. We're going to start meeting for prayer, specifically for prayer. There's no other agenda. It's not Bible study. It's not strategizing. It's nothing else. We're going to meet for prayer on Wednesday mornings at 8 o'clock right here in the lobby of the varsity. Uh, We started this week. A few people started this week. My friend Joe has been uh, feeling that tug as well. Allison's been feeling that. Maggie's feeling that. Other people around the church are feeling that tug. And so we're going to start meeting for prayer Wednesday mornings at 8 o'clock. And if you hear that and you think, man, I can't make it like Wednesday at eight does not work for me, then awesome. I'm glad because that means you have to start a different one. In a different place, in a different time that opens up potential for other people to be a part of it. This is not some strategy to make the church grow. It's intentionally putting ourselves in a place of surrender and recognizing, God, we need your power to move us because we can't move ourselves. We need you to grow us because we can't grow ourselves and we don't want to. We want a harvest that's out of our hands and we want to see you move in that way. One of my old time old heroes is an old preacher named Dennis Kinlaw. And he said this, God rarely does in a big way what he doesn't first do in many small ways. And I think he wants to go small. I think he wants to go small. And start moving. It's that potential of the seed. It's this hidden revelation. The potential within it is beyond anything that we could cook up. It's beyond any vision that we could cast. It's beyond any future that we could imagine. And it's his dream for his church. One last thing about seeds. I don't think it's any mistake that all throughout nature, God has intentionally hidden this prophecy of revel of resurrection. The seed is a story of resurrection. And that's what we get here in this parable. The seed is buried and pushed down into the dirt and buried beneath the dirt. And what happens as a result? Growth beyond imagination starts to push up 
through the surface. It's an image of resurrection. It is our, our entire creation is full of it. And it's been screaming it at us since the beginning. The echoes of resurrection that this is where the story's going. And this is what God is inviting us into. This is what the story's about. That is what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like potential. It looks like process, but it looks like power that is beyond anything that you and I could ever cook up. It's resurrection power, and we get invited into that. As we close out today, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it occurred to me this week as I'm thinking about communion and thinking about this passage, that what we have right here and what we're celebrating today is the result of seeds. This is the harvest of seeds. The seed goes into the ground to give us wheat, that gives us grain, that gives us bread to break. The seed goes into the ground that gives us a vine, that gives us fruit, that fills the cup. This is the kingdom of God. And the echoes of it are all around us. The echoes of it are all around us. What is he cultivating in your life? I invite you to come to the table today. Remember that what this signifies is Jesus Christ giving his life for us. The king himself laying down his life to bring us into his family. And if you are embracing that today, and if you receive that today, then we invite you to come and to participate. To taste and see that the Lord is good. On his last night with his disciples, Jesus took the bread that was at the table And he broke it. And he said, this represents my body broken to make you whole. And then he took the cup that was on the table. And he said, this cup represents my blood poured out for the salvation of the world. The cup of the new covenant. Every time you taste this, remember what I have done for you. We invite you to the king's table today to embrace his love for you and to become a part of this kingdom, this underground movement that is now breaking ground because of the power of Jesus Christ. There'll be two stations, one on this side, one on this side. And if you need a gluten-free option, then it will be available right here. Come to the table.